0: Bored by his enforced idleness, Yutun took to going for walks as soon as lunch was over, whenever the weather was warm and sunny. One day, a desire to savour country sights and sounds led him outside the city walls, and as he walked along with no fixed destination in mind, he presently found himself in a place ringed with hills and full of murmuring brooks and tall stands of bamboo, where a temple stood half hidden among the trees the walled approach to the gateway had fallen in and parts of the surrounding wall were in ruins a board above the gate announced the temple's name the temple of perfect knowledge while two cracked and worn uprights at the sides of the gate were inscribed with the following couplet on the right hand side as long as there is a sufficiency behind you you press greedily forward on the left hand side It is only when there is no road in front of you that you think of turning back.
1: Welcome to the third installation of Rereading the Stone. I'm Kevin Wilson, coming from Southern California, uh, joined by William Jones uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, how, how are you doing, Will?
0: Hello there. I'm good. I'm good. It's a beautiful day today. Um, great day for podcasting. And uh, looking forward very much to getting stuck into the second chapter.
1: Okay, yeah, this is episode three, but we're still we're, we're just beginning the second chapter. I wanted to actually before we like jumped right into it I, I wanted to make a uh kind of share a little discovery um I, I came I came upon in my reading recently I I think this might be the earliest uh like transmitted chinese record of um of an account of speaking stones of stones that speak um and so this is from the the Zhodrun one of the like the classic uh, Pseudo Confucian uh, documents to emerge from the uh, the Eastern Zhou period. Uh, this 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 old run is sometimes um, attributed, probably um, uh, falsely, to um, Confucius, um, but it, it, it plays a pretty important role in the in the later Confucian or the Ruist canon that developed. Uh, so maybe maybe I'm just going to read the um, the leg or leggy. Yeah.
0: And so just um. For, for, for the benefit of, of anyone who gets their uh, Chinese dynasties uh, mixed up, sometimes roughly when was the Eastern Zhou um,
1: dynasty? Well, the, uh, the the Eastern Zhou is usually broken up in, into the, uh, the the spring and autumn period, uh, the, which is basically named after um, the um, the document that these um, these commentaries are based upon and uh and then and then you have the warring states period which uh comes after that and, and culminates um rather dramatically in, in the first chinese um empire the, the the Qin empire uh formed by the the famous uh Qin Shi Huangdi um yep. and so this particular um this particular record is detailing the year 534 BCE so um this is this is the eighth year of uh, Duke Zhao, uh, and so according to this this record, uh, this spring in the eighth year of Duke Zhao, uh, a stone spoke in Wei Yu of Jin, the state of Jin. So this time there's a lot of, there's all kinds of these like uh, you know contending states that are um, at first supposedly uh, ruled by yeah. ritual, and then the, the ritual kind of system degenerates into chaos and warfare until ultimately uh, one state, that the Qin state emerges to, to form the first uh, Chinese empire, the Qin uh, empire. Um, and so uh, so mm. th- th- this spring, uh, a stone spoke uh, in, in Wei Yu of Jin. Uh, the Marquis uh, Gong asked the music master, Kuang, why it was that it did so. And the answer was, stones cannot speak. Perhaps a stone was possessed by a spirit. If not, then the people heard wrong. And yet I have heard that when things are done out of season, and discontent and complaints are stirring among the people, then speechless things do speak. Now palaces are reared, lofty and extravagant, and the strength of the people is tasked to an exhausting degree. Discontent and complaints are everywhere rife, people feeling that their life is not worth preserving. Mm. Is it not right that, in such circumstances, stones should speak? uh and, and so you, this kind of um foreshadows some of the things we're going to talk about i think in, in this episode i i'm fairly confident that our author uh Tsalchikhin was aware of this passage and, and probably um at least obliquely referencing it um and so i that, that kind of i i think it also speaks to the, the sort of the what kind of like literary universe we're um we're entering into such that a you know a, like an, eight, an 18th century author would be um, kind of casually referencing uh, a, a document that's you know over 2,000 or about about 2,000 years before his time. Know. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of uh, it kind of speaks to the depth of, of the, the the kind of symbolic space we're we're trying to navigate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just as a just as an aside, I think it's you know it's worth observing that this idea of nature um, reflecting human society, uh, in a way, it does seem to be quite common Uh, in the sense that, uh, well, the most obvious example is when Chinese dynasties throughout history were, um, you know, suffered various natural disasters such as earthquakes, floods, uh, things of that sort. Uh, you know that was often viewed not just as a terrible thing in its own right, but uh, as some kind of symbolic damage or delegitimizing of the uh, of the contemporary dynasty. Um, and what seems to be true in that passage as well is is although this this master of, of the rites of of, of rituals, Kuang, uh, uh, initially dismisses the idea of a stone being able to speak. Uh, he then seems to kind of walk it back and say, "Ah, but you know in times of I guess discord or uh disharmony, um, you do get these uh, like nature is almost reflecting back uh, onto human society um that that kind of disunity or disharmony um, right I think it's fascinating though the idea of the of the um, of the talking stone um." It's very much the stuff of kind of like um, myth and legend. Right,
1: right. Um, and it, it would be easy, I think, to uh, dismiss, you know, the kind of a, like from like a, a modernist perspective, to dismiss uh, ostensibly superstitious components, not only uh, of this description, but of some of the, the, um, the kind of net, the metaphysics that are going to appear later in this chapter uh in, in chapter 2 of of our story but but i would i would respond to that and say mm. that um that on some level i do think there is a great kind of reflect even from a more secular perspective i i, I think there is a, a a kind of a deep reflectivity of our universe where the state of society is, is emerges um empirically or phenomenologically um in in, in these kind of um indirect capacities right so it might not be a stone speaking but it might be you know a, a, a dramatic like a, a, just a dramatic event uh I, I'm, I'm thinking sp- specifically of uh i think it was last year yep. there's the in in england there, there's the the grenfell uh disaster right and and there are these like really spectacular um images emerge. when when some research was done there was kind of um it it was shown how this this seemingly natural uh catastrophe had deep social uh, and political maybe ac- economic uh underpinnings right and, and so in the same way like that building sort of spoke to us um
0: oh yeah absolutely. So th- there
1: there's no need for like a superstitious or a uh mm-hmm. a supernatural explanation for basically arriving at a similar kind of um uh, understanding of reality as as deeply reflective in some in some capacity. Yeah. Um. And so, so maybe that'll that give us some something to think about as we as we dive into the text. Um. So should we review a little bit? So in the in the last at, at the end of chapter one, uh, there was kind of a surprise knock at the door, and that was a cliffhanger. Um. Uh. Yeah. And, and so. And they're looking for uh, our, our, our buddy uh, Jenshin, who who kind of ran away with the uh, yeah. the, the, the Taoist monk, and and basically
0: the Taoist, know, the, um... the Taoist monk at the end of the last chapter.
1: yeah. So the, the first abscondence uh, of a parental figure that we're gonna encounter in this um, in in this novel.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so just just as as a as a reminder, in the last chapter, <clears throat> we're introduced to. Uh, a number of characters, but two that I think are worth uh, pointing out. One is Xi uh, Yin, who is a comfortably well-off middle-aged intellectual uh, with just one child, a young daughter, um, and they live uh, in. Um, they live just close to this to this temple. Staying in the temple is a younger, aspiring intellectual, and and you know aspiring. Uh, I guess, kind of upwardly mobile uh, young man called Yu Tun, who, um, despite his lofty ambitions, is very impoverished, um, uh, and he and Zhenxian are good friends. Uh, and on one occasion, while at Zhenxian's house, he looks out the window and sees a, um, a very striking uh, maidservant uh, who turns around and sees him, and there's this kind of moment of, it's a sort of, it's something like a kind of love at first sight type moment between them. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, um, uh, it doesn't lead anywhere. Um, and then a couple of things happen in very quick succession. First, Jiayu Sun confesses to Junshin that he wants to go and take the exams to become an official. and uh, lends him the money and sends him on his way. Uh, then the Juns lose their daughter. She disappears during... Um, Uh, during one of the the lunar festivals. Mm. Um, And then their house burns down uh, and they have to flee to their country home. Uh, But due to uh, famine and banditry in the area, they have to sell the home and move in with uh, Mrs. Jun's father, this man Feng Su, who rather despises his son in law Jun Xin gives Feng Su his remaining money and asks uh, his father in law to find them a place to live. And... Uh, Feng Su takes about half the money for himself and then uses the remaining half to buy them some very poor quality uh, land with a, with a ruined cottage. Um, and yes, apparently, uh, you know, despairing at, the, at the, you know, the direction that his life has turned, um, Jun Xin then absconds with uh, a Taoist monk that he meets on the road. Um, and this apparently is going to be a theme throughout <laughs> <for> the book <laughs> of, uh, of, of uh, apparently men just abandoning their family to, to run off with of Taoists. It
1: happens sometimes.
0: Um, yeah. Anyway, so Mrs. Jen is left um, relying on her, um, on her father uh, and she and her, her few remaining servants, uh, they, they do embroidery and things like that for uh, a bit of money to support themselves. Uh, and then one day out of the blue, there is a new magistrate in town and uh the magistrate sends men to the to the jun's door uh and obviously this is a cause for great concern because you know normally when you the magistrate sends sends men round, it's uh it's because you're in trouble um but in this case perhaps not so
1: right definitely that, that was a great uh that was a great kind of review um and so that, that's kind of where, where, where we find ourselves so we find out that uh well, basically, there's a really important kind of conversation between. It's basically between uh, one of these um, these henchmen sent by the new magistrate, and they're basically looking for somebody named, surnamed uh, Jen, and the the father-in-law is like, "Well, I'm surnamed uh, I'm surnamed Fung. There's no Jen here," and he explains how you know basically how mm-hmm. Jenshin left about 2 years ago uh and they haven't they haven't seen him since uh yeah. but there's a um actually the hawks translation it's kind of like it, it kind of buries the um an uh, important detail so the, the hawks translation the response to this by the runner is he says you know fung or jen it's all the same to us um you know whether you're surnamed fung yeah. or surnamed jen uh but but the actual the original um it's uh it's actually he says genja and he actually says the, the character is really the character for real and the character for ja and so what, what before yeah. was interpretive like like implicitly in the text now it's like explicitly there and, and so it's a pretty clear indication that um yeah. all this real fake um kind of dialogue is not uh our interpretation that the author was consciously um Employing these devices. Yep. Um,
0: and, yeah. 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 And, so this is just going back to that that point that um, it's uh, there is a lot of punning on the names, and I feel like we're uh, really hammering the point home here. But yeah, yeah. but uh, the fact that the, you know the two main characters from the previous chapter are surnamed Chen and Jia, and these are obviously homophones of the word for true or real on the one hand, and fake or false on the other hand. Um, is made extremely explicit here, yeah.
1: right? And, and so, and so, basically, yeah, the the father Fung, he he doesn't come back until the uh, the second watch, so that's uh, like uh, nine o'clock to eleven o'clock, approximately. So pretty late late in the evening. Uh, yeah. And so the the whole yeah. kind of, the whole family crowds around. Yeah. and They want to know what what happened. Um, and, and that's where we learn that mm. the new magistrate. They're very concerned. Uh, the you know the the, the, the thaiye, which is literally grandfather. So it's kind of an interesting. It gives you a mm. sense for the psychological yeah. dynamics of government, where it's it's very much these familial terms are uh, <laughs> applied and appropriated in a, in a kind of. Interesting, it's paternal, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. because
0: well, it's interesting because if you look at um, uh, Confucian thought, um, there are a number of different. Um, relationships that confucianism is sort of concerned with um there are obvious ones like uh parent to child uh husband to wife but one of them is ruler to ruled right Mm. uh and so i guess by kind of categorizing that in a similar form to the relationship between um you know father and child or, or parent and child uh yeah it does kind of give the game away that this is this is like um uh, yeah, they kind of conceive of, of uh, the ruler as uh, like a paternal or definitely familial figure. Um, yeah, definitely, yeah. And and that, yeah, uh, you're, you're right. It's a strange word to have used, Tai, Tai, yeah, <laughs> uh, great grandfather or old man. Right, figure. exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. It's so it's a term of great respect, certainly.
1: And and, and, so, and so basically, um, our, our, our buddy uh, Jia Yutun is now he's now the magistrate. And uh, he found out about, He found out about the house because uh, yeah. basically he saw he saw the you know the love of his life um, that he that he glimpsed in the garden uh, the the uh, the yato yahuan um, and she was basically yeah. at, at the gateway of their of their house um, s- selling I, I believe silk which I think is pretty significant because if if you think about the society it, it's a it's a, a a glimpse into how this society worked in, in that, you know, you're basically, especially for, um, uh, for women, you're, you're basically um, confined to a domestic sphere. Uh, and maybe, you know, this, this act of selling um, like homemade products is the, you know, the, the, the premier opportunity to have interaction with the world um so so again she she's at the gateway between you know the 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 inner sanctum and the the out the greater society um outside so she's she's again in this like liminal space uh um represented in the marketplace essentially um and that's how uh the new magistrate Jiayutun is able to um come across yeah. her and to yeah. realize oh this is what what a coincidence this is this is a girl, this is the love of my life um and, and apparently my my friend's family has moved here uh, to the same town where I've been um, where I've been stationed um because we, we remember he went to the capital and he he presumably did did very well uh, yeah. a, a, on his examinations and as a result was given this this post mm-hmm. um and, and and so basically what happens is he he's already given um the, the father of Fung, uh, two two tails of silver, like two liang of silver, uh, which I think were probably in like a bar shape. If I if I understand correctly, um, yeah. And then and then the next day, yeah, After like this that. first meeting, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, he gives uh, uh, Zhenxin's, um, you know, ex ex wife essentially, um, more silver and also um bolts of silk right and at at the same time there's a like a confidential written letter requesting um uh the girl's name her name is uh jiao xing uh which is which is translated as lucky in in the in the the hawks translation um and this is a court this is according to a commentary tradition where jiao xing is is, um is recognized as another another homophonous character uh jiao xing Uh, Main, namely, luck or good fortune, right? Um, uh, and basically, she's um, requested to become his, basically, his concubine because um, he already has a wife at this time. Um, and and basically, she's sent off that that yeah. very day. Uh, and Mr. Mr. Fung is pretty delighted. He, he wants to make you know good. He wants to be in the the good graces of uh, the new magistrate. And, and so there, she's pressed into this relationship and it's, she, she's sent off um, yeah. in a very kind of, um, what we would perceive as a very kind of commodified fashion um, th- that very evening, essentially. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, um, she is packed off in short order mm-hmm. in, a, uh, in a sedan chair, right? Um, um, and then for good measure after after they're married uh, Jia Yutsu and the, the manager sends a further hundred taels of silver uh, together with a number right. of good things from Mrs. Jun to cheer and sustain her um, so yeah it's very it like uh, it's it's quite um, it's difficult to describe I suppose you know in the first chapter when they encounter one another in the garden um, it is quite sort of um, mm-hmm. Like touching and slightly romantic, you know, uh, because he's this sort of like impoverished, he's this kind of impoverished, um, uh, very smart and and clearly like you know, um, handsome guy, hoping to make something for himself, and she's this kind of poor servant girl, uh, and and now they're you know, and it's clear that they both kind of feel the same way about each other, uh, but now in this in the second chapter, yeah, she's just kind of packed up and carted off to him. Uh, and in return, yeah. he pays her former employer hundred <laughs> yeah. tails of silver. It's rather less romantic. Um, it's rather more kind of, um, I, I suppose, you know, sort of brutally realistic.
1: Yeah, definitely. This feels like a, this like, this probably happened. Uh, and, and even I, I suspect, you know, if you wanted to use this text as like an economic, uh, like an economic history um, source book, I I wonder if a hundred tails of silver was in some sense like a, like a market rate for someone of this beauty and um social status um so and, and yet and yet she's yeah. she's named lucky so it is a lot of like mixed messages and <laughs> i guess it's better to be bought than not um is the implication
0: I right yeah yeah so yeah so so i mean like the 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 name itself is uh jiao is like um can be like pampered or spoiled uh, but it can also mean like delicate tender hmm. and then xiong is like a or xing rather is a it's like an apricot or almond right. or the tree of one of those things yeah that's what i got as well um, so like what do you know why it is that hawks calls her lucky
1: um, well because there's, there's another character uh, like a, a third tone jiao like by luck uh, and then you could have xing also, yeah. like the like uh, I like, like like lucky or fortunate, um, and, and so uh, got it, got it,
0: right, right. So it's again, it's just a, it's a very like direct homophone.
1: This is so. There's one. There's one famous commentator on, on basically one of one of Tao Shuiqin's friends uh, is a famous com- commentator who goes by the like the the, the style title. Um, uh, uh, Jir Yan Jai yep. the the red inkstone studio which is his like is is his name essentially um, and, and so he's this particular like kind of um, play on this, this pun is is kind of attributed to his in, his commentary um, and so that's happening a lot in the Hawks translation there, there's a lot of things that are he's he, he doesn't necessarily cite it but he, he's he's kind of um, delving into different uh like branches and, and styles of interpreting yep. this, this, this yep. novel. Um, and so he's making a lot of judgment calls essentially.
0: Okay. So, um, so no, I was just going to say, yeah, so she's, she's, um, she's sent off to be, uh, Jai yeah, kind of concubine second wife type, uh, mm-hmm. character in a, in a sedan chair. Um, and true to her name, she is very lucky because First of all, she becomes pregnant with a son, which is, um, you know, uh, very much like this this thing of incredible significance in 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 um, traditional mm-hmm. Chinese culture. Uh, and then shortly afterwards, Yusun's first wife uh, shuffles off this mortal coil after a short illness, um, and so and so Lucky becomes first wife. You know, promotion. Um, and so in this, you know, <laughs> it's very weird to think of it that way, but yes. Um, um, so you can see, you can track these almost kind of two um, contrasting uh, trajectories, I suppose. You have Junji who went from uh, very comfortable, very kind of well-off to childless, impoverished, and now just a, a kind of wandering Taoist monk. Mm. And on the other hand, you have uh, someone like um, Jia who has gone from just a, a kind of servant girl to a concubine of a rich magistrate, to the wife of a rich magistrate, and and also, you know, um, as I mentioned before, uh, having borne him a son, and that being such a, a kind of significant thing that you know, again, would be certainly within the within the, I guess. Uh, through the prism of that belief system, uh, that would be another very kind of like uh, lucky or, or, or fortunate thing.
1: So the you know the the ups and downs continue. Um, it's it's not too long before uh, I guess in some sense some of um, Jia Yutun's luck runs out. Right. He it seems yeah. he's too proud in some in some capacity. He's not necess- his, his personality is not necessarily suited for. Bureaucratic service. He doesn't understand the game. I, I think fully. Um, everyone like quickly starts to hate him in the, in the his mm. fellow government um, officers and officials. I think he's sacked within maybe two years. I think they say one or two years. He does not show it on his face. He takes it very well, at least outwardly. Um, so we don't we don't know if he inwardly mm. is um is is grieving or is kind of just kind of rolling with the punches. Um, but basically, he sends his family back to uh, Huzhou, Jiangsu, uh, Jiangsu province, uh, and he decides to go traveling around. Basically, right, mm-hmm. um, seeing all the sites of um, of the, the Chinese kingdom, right? Yeah. And, and so he's, he's 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 an educated guy. He knows he knows all the you know he kind of he can appreciate it all, all the historical artifacts and so on and so forth and basically he comes, he comes upon, uh, the, the story kind of begins again where he's in, uh, uh, Wei Yang, uh, uh, Yangzhou, which is also a part of Jiangsu, uh, where he, yeah. he meets the newly appointed, um,
0: yeah. Yeah. So it's, so I think it's just worth mentioning that this is, um, the setting here is, um, a part of China that's called, um, Jiangnan which literally means like south of the Yangtze River but really it describes the whole area around the lower reaches and mouth of the Yangtze River which is historically one of the richest particularly in terms of commerce in the whole of China Um, and it's full of these um, very kind of bustling wealthy um, towns and cities full of um, full of, I guess, wealthy scholars and, uh, you know, very fine Chinese gardens and uh, sort of white houses with black tiles and canals and that sort of thing. You know, that's, that's the sort of setting where, we're, where we are at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, um, and, 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 and Yangzhou is one of the, uh, uh, historically certainly one of the, one of the big cities in that, in that region
1: right right i i, I think that, that really helps that really helps to get a sense for um yeah for this for the setting uh he comes upon um he meets the the newly newly appointed salt commissioner the um Yushir. uh you sure yeah uh uh the guy's name is lin ruhai uh which is like ruhai is i'll, I'll translate <laughs> as like like the sea and so maybe that indicates a sort of grandeur like the sea, of character. Yeah. Um, and, and so being the, the, the salt commissioner mm. sounds, it might sound kind of quaint um, if, if you, if we don't like uh, investigate the kind of the the historical, the, the, the economic kind of um, significance of salt basically for the Chinese kingdom, right? Where yeah. I, I was doing so a little yeah. like uh, looking around at, at various points in time, salt uh, was so important. It, it almost uh, functioned as like a, a proto currency, uh, and, and like having control of yeah. salt supplies was, um, was similar to having control of the state, um, and, and the bil- the ability to maybe issue, issue debt and to, uh, to control regions and to control trade flows. And so, on yeah, and so forth.
0: Uh, I mean, it's almost impossible for us to imagine nowadays when salt is freely available and extremely cheap, mm-hmm. but throughout most of human history, it was something that people uh, very much wanted. It's something that humans need, yeah. at least in small quantities, as part of their yeah. diet. Especially if you're so not eating was meat as much. consistent demand for it. Yeah. It's something that is quite yeah. It's something that's quite difficult to obtain uh, because without you know any way of industrially producing salt, you either have to get it from the sea somehow or um, from some kind of like seam, some kind of salt mine, uh, and Um, Yeah, it's not really an exaggeration to say that historically had a significance kind of akin to something like crude oil today. Mm. Um, Yeah, as in it was very highly in demand. Control of it, control of it led to both great material wealth and great political power. Um, And, and yeah, as you say, it, it could function something almost like currency. So, I mean, the English word salary is taken from the word salt because you could, I think uh, I understand that certainly at a point you could have been paid in salt rather than in in money.
1: Right. Um,
0: Interesting. So, yeah, so you're right. It sounds salt commissioner. You think, Oh oh God, that sounds like some really tedious bunch of old rubbish. Um, (laughs) But, but it, but it, it, it conceals um, the fact that this was actually, you know, like this incredibly important job. Uh, um, And so this is, you know, this guy is a, He's a big shot, you know. He's definitely a big shot. And, and Lin Ruhai, Lin, yeah, Lin like the sea is a big shot,
1: right? And so that, that's to to review like his his surname is Lin and, and his his given name is Ruhai, right? Because of the way um the Chinese mm. names are inverted, um and so he he's fifty years old, um yeah. he's got uh, many concubines, uh, three children, one died, um but but I guess only one from the 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 main wife whose surname is Jia again so we we this is the same Jia as our, as our, mm. our uh Jia Yutong um and and this mm-hmm. and this um this daughter of his is uh, uh Lin Daiyu Lin Daiyu right uh black jade she's mm. 5 years old and she's mm. one of the most important characters of, of this novel right um yep. and, and they say uh her, her father loved her like a pearl in the palm right that's a that's a, a direct quote from the the Hawks trans, um, and, and so mm. Jai becomes her teacher, right? And so he gets a nice, pretty nice gig, because she's often sick, and 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 she's pretty young, so teaching her is not that uh, strenuous. Um,
0: it's a very easy gig, yeah.
1: Right, and this is basically where we we come up we come upon the passage from the the cold open, where uh, because he has or yes. time, uh, Jai Yutuan is able to kind of go for a walk in the country so it's so basically he's going for a walk and he, he comes upon a kind of a, a, a dilapidated uh monastery right and so we're kind of returning to some of the themes we saw from before with an old monk uh who who, who speaks mm-hmm. gibberish basically um yeah right and, and so we already we already heard the um there's basically another another gateway with another kind of riddle for us to to decode, right? So as long as there is a, su- a sufficiency behind you, you press greedily forward. It is only when there is no road in front of you that you think of turning back. Uh, how, how did you interpret this?
0: You know, I really don't know what to make of it. Um, <laughs> I I <laughs> um, I guess I I thought of it as directly applicable to. Um, Jia Tsun himself um, and his own his own personal trajectory, which is very much one of uh, of um, yeah pressing forward uh, eagerly in the greed- greedily definitely um, right. and only yeah. in his case having to turn back uh, only having to turn back once um, uh, you know forcibly removed from his post by the emperor's decree. Um, but I'm, I'm sure, I don't know. Do you, you think there is a more kind of like universal significance to it?
1: I, I was also thinking, like, does this apply to Jia you You could say it, it applies to Jenshin, right? Where where he only when there is no options available for him does he? You could say he kind of um, he he descends into poverty, but you could also say he you know he transcends himself into this kind of um, this Taoist enlightenment, right? And so only when he's finally Fully impoverished, does he? Mm. Does he have these kind of mad visions, uh, which which may or may not be a form of enlightenment that our author is um, contemplating, at least if not advocating. Um, and so maybe this this having no road in front of you, maybe it partially applies to uh, Jyuton now, or maybe it's going to foreshadow something that's going to happen to him in the future. Uh, maybe he's going to take you know a similar path, uh, or maybe it's going to maybe this yeah. is also you know um, foreshadowing. Something's gonna to happen to, you know, either uh, I was also we we haven't introduced um uh Yu yet, right? Who who's gonna be the lover of Lin Dayu, right? But maybe mm-hmm. this other really important character, um, he's also gonna have a kind of um, you know, enlightenment out of, you know, the depths of poverty or something. Um mm-hmm. I, I also kinda of wanna talk a little bit about um I have been thinking a lot about this like road, I uh, quote unquote metaphor. Um, actually, this yep. whole scene with the the babbling, um, the babbling old uh, uh, monk. monk it, it had. I'm I'm sort of a, a, a big like David Lynch fan, uh, and so I, yep. I really was. I was really into season three of um, see, uh, Twin Peaks. I thought like it, if I were directing the uh, like a, a movie version of I, I would uh, yeah I would have Lynch do the scene with the uh, maybe with the old the old monk maybe have some like something <laughs> really graphic monk. I imagined him like drooling maybe into yeah. the gruel he's preparing some gruel right and so I, I, I imagine like the drool mm. kind of like dripping into the gruel it's um, <laughs> so, but then but but to get back to this idea of the, the life is a journey metaphor I was also mm-hmm. I was imagining the the very last uh, episode of 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 Twin Peaks season three. I don't know if you saw it or not, where it's basically no. this really dramatic journey. He goes from where our the main character of that story um, goes from the town of Odessa back to the, the town of Twin Peaks. Right, And Odessa is obviously <laughs> uh, a reference to the Odyssey. Right, and so he makes this this journey uh, in. In in this in this kind of like weird, what happens in, the, in this particular story is that he, he, it's he's kind of in between reality and and fiction in, in the same way that we're kind of dealing with it here in this in this novel. And so like rather than thinking of life as a journey as like a, a simple metaphor, I I, I almost want to like think of it as like because. There really is no point in life where you're not going from like point A to point B, even if you just wake up in the morning and you travel to, you know, the refrigerator or, 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 or to the, you know, the kitchen faucet, yeah. Yeah. it's always, you're kind of always embodied. And so when you go on a, a journey, I, I, I wonder if this is meaningful because it, it like, it's basically like what I have in my notes is you, you're, you're re-embodying uh, your own kind of lived experience. Uh, and so any journey is already like a a journey within a journey um yeah and and so maybe that's something that's going on here that's one way to interpret this this kind of thing i don't don't know if that's i don't don't want to go off on a huge tangent
0: so so it's almost it's like it's almost kind of meta then
1: i I would say so yeah right okay it's been argued that you know like this this whole uh novel is unusually meta I mean you, you distinguish yeah, yeah, that yeah, argument see from that. the argument that all literature is meta but like if all literature is meta <laughs> this is even more meta than most literature yeah. or
0: something yeah well it does seem to be full of um allusions and references um and so it's as much about the plot itself as it is about um all of these other things to do with uh culture and literature and, and history I guess Mhm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, just, just, just touching on this mad monk. Uh, well, not mad. That's not really fair. But, but rather, kind of. Uh, uh, he's he's described as kind of uh, very old and decrepit. Um, mm-hmm. um, there is a, a bit right at the end where um, basically Jyutun tries speaking to him. It's kind of an anticlimax because he he finds this 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 temple or monastery. Uh, and it has this very unusual name and it has these right. very interesting couplets down the side and um, right. and So you kind of think oh, maybe this is going to be something of real significance, you know um, This is going to be he's going to attain some really fundamental knowledge or or some kind of realization um, But all that happens is he walks in and the monk doesn't understand him and is talking gibberish and so he he gets impatient and walks out um, I don't know. I think that's quite like it's uh, I feel like it's almost mirrored in the frustration of the reader because you feel like Sao uh, Xiuqian is kind of toying with you, you know, um, um uh, Like like I certainly felt almost a bit frustrated with it because you think like it's 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 the beginning of something interesting uh, Oh, no, it's not. It's just all that's there inside is some um, some wizened old monk drooling into his scroll, as you say um, um the, the bit that I think is, is is particularly good is the final five characters are uh, face or one which is to say That which he answered was not that which was asked basically, uh, so it's like a way right. of saying whatever Jai Sun asked him the monk just You know So you you say to him. Oh, what time is it? And he'd say uh, no ostriches or um you know, like some complete, like non sequitur. Um, and, um, and yeah, I think that that's, um, I suppose it could have some kind of like greater symbolic significance. It's, it's kind of, um, I guess where you have these, um, grand suggestions of someone or something having all the answers. Um, actually all that there is inside is just, uh, incomprehensible nonsense. Um,
1: that I mean, seems to correspond with certain ideas of enlightenment. You know, it's almost like uh Sun is asking a kind of material um, question, and he's giving a metaphysical answer. It, 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 it's almost like a his answers are like uh, Zen Cohen's in a way, where where it's yeah. the the very like irrelevance kind of um, makes you question the notion of relevance or something. It, yeah. It's, it, the whole the whole scene is, is, is pretty disorienting, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I thought it really adds a lot. Actually, it gives a, it gives the, the novel suddenly an almost like a, a postmodern um, aesthetic in in in, like a, yeah. in in a sense, you know. Yeah. Uh, where and you're, so, you're just like, Whoa. It,
0: yeah. And so, having been confronted with this extremely like frustrating tableau, uh, Jason does what any sensible person would do and decides to go and get drunk. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> he thinks, "Oh well, that was a waste of time. Let's go and have some uh, several cups of wine in a nearby inn,
1: right?" And so, and again, he he meets an old. Basically, he meets an old friend, right? Yeah. Um, uh, lungs Lung Lung Shing. Yeah. Um, who's like a, uh, uh, I, I, I think some people say like some of the interpretations of the name is that he's an he's an impartial like. Observer of uh, affairs in the capital, right? So he's a Lung Yan, so a cold-eye observer. Yeah. uh, um... Yeah. And so basically, we we should just jump right into it. He's basically given the dirt on um, these two uh, branches uh, of the... I I want to describe this in a way that isn't confusing. Mm -hmm. Because we basically have to go right now, and we have to start talking about, like, kind of... um, Chinese kinship and how it relates to surnames and to what's sometimes referred to as clans yeah um, because suddenly like suddenly this chapter gets a lot more difficult because it, it presupposes a certain familiarity with um, with a, a fairly complex social system that is, is somewhat alien to us I, I think yeah uh, in a Western context yeah yeah um, and so basically lung is giving us the the dirt on on, on the on the jat uh fu, right um where fu designates it's kind of like a, a metonymical designation where it's it means literally something like a, a building or a house mm-hmm. um but it, it's also used uh to um to designate the whole family Kind of various organizations, either social or familial uh, or political, right? It's the same yeah. fu as in uh, Zheng Fu for government, right? That we're, right. we're so familiar with in, in a modern
0: context. I think basically, you know, the author, Cao Xueqian, has this, clearly has a, um, had ideas for all of these different characters uh, and quite like a grand um kind of cast, you know, we, we mentioned before, it's like a cast of hundreds. They so think there's maybe 300 or so characters. And so, um, he has to find a way to kind of introduce them to us in, a, in a way that feels natural. Uh, and this is this conversation between Jai Yucun and Long Zixing is kind of like, uh, one of those, m- at least not terribly contrived ways of, of, uh, introducing all these characters to, uh, to us, the reader, uh, and 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 the format is basically the two of them sitting and getting drunk and and really just having a gossip. Uh, almost they're almost kind of bitching um, about um, <laughs> about these uh, different um, different kind of members of the Jia clan, um, uh, and this allows us to kind of become introduced to uh, the Jia clan generally and t- two very important, influential branches of it uh, that will come to be significant as the story kind of unfolds.
1: Okay, great, great. And and so when we say clan, um, the the Chinese term for that is uh, zhu, right? Uh, And and this term goes back, you know, as far back as there are records, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's, the the way I'd kind of like break it down is, is to say that so, so we we've already been talking a lot about Chinese surnames, right? Uh, Xing, right? Yeah. Um, and it's it's important not to overly identify Xing with Zhu, but it's also important to recognize um, that they are in some various ways related, right? Yeah. And, and so, even Zixin says at one point in time too. So he's basically giving the um the the dirt on um on on the Jack the Jack clan and he say, he says to uh Jason you have the same surname nimen Xing. Yeah. Uh, how could he not be of the same clan the, yeah. the uh Yizu, right yeah um and, and, and so the implication is if you go back far enough uh the these 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 Xing actually might be in in, in some in, in some distant way related mm-hmm. to um, a kind of uh, a pretty important social a form of social organization yeah that uh, <clears throat> can't be that 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 serves a more of an active role than our, I think we have surnames in in uh, in in the current Western context, and we don't even know why we have them and, yeah. and they, they almost serve as these these strange artifacts that we carry with us, yeah. Uh, whereas having being of a of a, of a, of a particular tzu, Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, belonging to um, a particular fool, yeah. right, which may may or may not be traceable back to a royal um, decree, right? And so you maybe maybe you'll receive you know, a, a clan uh, a, a clan designation or a clan name or, or a surname or a proto, a proto surname yeah. from an emperor at some point in time. Um and these and these devices will be used uh in various ways to, to organize uh to organize marriages, um, to strengthen uh the bonds between lineages and, and to make certain lineages uh interact with other lineages in in a way that um it's kind of mutually reinforcing. Yeah. Right. So we're almost getting into uh like anthropological territory where yeah. where we talk about um various forms of like uh, like marriage and exogamy and uh, it, it gets kind of complicated and it's fairly interesting and, and and it also relates to in an indirect way where we're gonna we're gonna see that um the our, our two main characters uh Jabao Yu and Lindyu are are going to be um they're they're basically cousins right and and so this seems strange and maybe perverse to us in a modern context. But actually, if you go back in the go back in the records, right, and um, so, some anthropologists have looked at so basically, there, there's the earliest Chinese um, naming system mm-hmm. to have uh, been transmitted down to us from from early times can be traced back to I, I think the, the second century B.C.E. Right, yeah. and, and it, it basically it shows. You can kind of look for patterns where certain kinship terms appear and some don't appear, yeah. and where maybe different different parts of the of, of the tree uh, share the same name. And if you kind of go through the logic in a way that's a little more complicated than we can do on a podcast, you can see that you know a certain form of um, uh, cousin marriage or, or cross cousin marriage was being practiced. Yeah. Um, and this seems to be of this seems to be the earliest surnames probably. Emerged um, in connection in various ways with this practice, uh, and um, I was actually reading earlier a pretty interesting, basically uh, there's a an article called uh, "Kinship Marriage and Descent in Early China," um, where, where it talks about you know how the Zhou people. So this is again back to the time of the the earliest stone speaking, right? That we that we mentioned earlier. Where you know the the Zhou were organized into these Zhou lim- lineages, mm-hmm. which were in these lineages in turn were organized into larger zong, right? And this in turn um, uh, kind of led into the idea of um, the idea that uh, people of the same surname were not allowed to marry. Ah, uh, right, um, right, right, right. Uh, and so you can see how it's a little bit complicated. Um, this is a very hand wavy explanation, but um, this might actually d- account for a lot of the dualities that we're seeing. Like the idea that the, the jen and the Ja clan were uh, very closely related, which is repeated again and again in the text, uh, is probably um, related to maybe these two clans ha- have a history of, of intermarriage mm-hmm. or of interaction yeah. in some way or another. Yeah,
0: definitely, um, definitely. I, I, I wasn't aware of that term, uh all, being used to mean clan. Uh, and before this uh, but it's an interesting one because as you say, it's it's entirely to do with uh, Ancestry and lineage Uh so is the one that's used mm-hmm. uh, often to mean your um, Your your predecessor in some way like your your ancestral, you know, it, it can mean uh, your ancestors up to the, the nth degree basically Um and so I, I guess right the idea of the Tzu is that everyone who shares that common ancestor or common ancestry uh, all belongs or, or has, shares the same kind of heritage. Um, there, there's a good quote from the text
1: where um, Jai Tsun says, after being asked, like, hey, you, you have the same surname, how can you not be of the same clan, yeah. th- of the same mm-hmm. Uh He says, oh, you mean them. There are so many members of my clan, it's hard to keep up with all of them. Since the time of uh, Jiafu, uh, and this is, so this is a guy from, since the time of Jafu of the Eastern Han Dynasty, there have been branches of the Jia clan in every province of the empire. And so the, the Rongguo cl- branch is in fact, as a matter of fact, of the same clan registry, and the word here is pu, as my own. But he says, since they are so far exalted above us socially, we don't normally claim the connection. And nowadays we are completely out of touch with them. Yeah. And so this is really interesting, I think, because he he knows his like his history, uh, at least you know in, in vague terms, all the way up to, to a guy from the the first century, um, you know, of the common era, hmm. uh, which which is uh, which is amazing. I, I I don't know how far I don't know how much of the like the wit of the Jones. Um,
0: well, no, I I mean you know, I, I mean if you're thinking did, about you this, can, this is this is, yeah, I mean and, this is what Eastern Han is. From about around about the year zero to about two hundred CE AD, um, and this is written in the the what this the eighteenth century. So you're talking about 1,600 years. Uh, so being able to trace your family down through that that kind of length of time is is, is really mind boggling to me. Um, I, I I guess just uh, as an aside, you mentioned that surnames have a different treatment in 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 certainly western anglo-saxon culture um, and i mean that's completely true my surname jones is i know it's a very very common uh surname it's welsh originally but it wouldn't allow me in any way to claim kinship with every other person surnames jones um, a because there's you know that 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 kind of cultural expectation doesn't exist but b also because it, it literally just means son of john so uh, it's not like we all claim mutual shared ancestry of one guy called John. It's just that um, you know, whenever it happened that, that surnames became formalized, um, there just happened to be a lot of people who had that that, that surname. I guess um, so. Yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating because it's so so different um, that those uh, those notions of uh, family or shared heritage are so much more strong there's so much more long established um and there's you know they spread so far and wide
1: right and and so and and also to to get a sense for this 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 fellow uh Fu, he helped establish the eastern han dynasty so he was the third rank of the um the the 28 generals of the cloud platform who i guess were uh integral in in kind of um Dissolving the the the, the uh, interregnal regime. Yeah, right? interregnal. So yeah, this, this yeah. Is, this is an instance yeah. of the um, of the uh, of of like us a, of, of a surname of a Zhu designation being direct kind of like a gift, kind of a, a gift from the emperor, right? Um, and, and so, right. but th- 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 let kind of let's move on. So, um, and so basically. Uh, Lung in, in his in his gossiping he he kind of tells us about two again here's a dual structure again uh, two branches mm-hmm. of the of the Jia clan right so the, one of them's the the Rongguofu and then the the Ningguofu right and and so Rong meaning yeah. like flourishing Ning meaning peaceful yeah um, so yeah. maybe that's also another kind of dialectical opposition. And, and and Lung he claims that uh you know both these houses aren't doing as well as they used to, essentially, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, they are yeah, they're they're the, the classic kind of um wealthy nobility uh falling on unexpectedly hard times. Um exactly, but as we yeah. see very much keeping up the appearance of um of great wealth. Um so so when confronted with this statement, Jiao Sun says that doesn't seem right to me. The last time I was in um, Jinling, which is uh, Nanjing, mm-hmm. um, he walked down the street that their, that their households are on and their respective mansions, uh, the Ningguo branch mansion and the Rongguo branch mansion, uh, mm-hmm. occupied almost the entire length of this street. Um, um, and from what he could see over the walls, he could see the most magnificent and imposing halls and pavilions and even the rocks and trees of the gardens beyond seemed to have a sleekness and luxuriance that were certainly not suggestive of a family whose fortunes were in a state of decline.
1: And so, yeah, yeah basically, Lung's response to this is that, well, you know, appearances can be deceptive, right? And, and, he, and he, yeah. he, you yeah. know, the rumors he's hearing is that they've been, they've been living outside their means. Uh, they, they've become very opulent, even, you know, even... Uh, Maidservants are, are dressing as if they were first wives, something to that effect, right? He claims none of the none of the male members of the clan have any big plans on the horizon, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so exactly. this is when he starts exactly. to kind of going. He starts to kind of go through uh, some of the lineages, right? And this is where it gets it a little challenging uh, to to keep yeah. track of all these of all these people and all these names.
0: So we can start with with. The, with the two branches. So there's Zhongguo okay. and there's Ningguo. And they both stem from the same pair of brothers, right? Um, and so we can trace each of them in turn. Ningguo, the elder of the two, um, has a son called Jia Daihua. Um, he then has two sons, one of whom dies, the other inherits Jia Jing. Uh, unfortunately, Jia Jing's only interest in life is Taoism so recurrent theme you know um (laughs) they just um they just can't stop themselves from um (laughs) from pursuing this 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 taoism um and we see you know he says he spends all his time over retorts and crucibles concocting elixirs and refuses to be bothered with anything else and so this is kind of interesting parallel between that and um the study of you know alchemy uh, and the search for the philosopher's stone in in um, in kind of western uh, science if we can call it that um, maybe not quite literally contemporary to this but 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 certainly not um not very far apart in time um, um and so and so yeah we can see that the the kind of the, the the men of the household on on whose on whose shoulders the the responsibility for for kind of keeping things going, um, they're not really um, they're not really doing much. Uh, they're not really achieving much. Um,
1: there, there's a great quote from here where uh, um, he, they say that uh, Jia Jing, he, What's more, he he refuses outright to live at home and spends his time fooling around with a pack of Taoists somewhere outside mm. the city walls. So it, it's a uh, uh, the joke I made on Twitter was this is a, the, the the Qing dynastic equivalent of being a, a deadbeat dad, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it it also has really strong resonances with what what happened last chapter with uh, uh, with Genshin right? Mm. Where it's <laughs> I guess this is a perennial. It's like an an epidemic of um, of of deadbeat dads, uh, kind yeah. of um, jo- joining like motorcycle gangs or I'm trying to give a good parallel to yeah to our yeah. Own, uh society?
0: Well, 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 so we have, um, so this guy, uh, Jia Jing, is the one who has given himself up to, um, you know, the dangers of um, Taoism uh, and, and, and alchemy. Then he has a son called Jia Zhen, who uh, um, in turn has just given himself up to uh, a life of pleasure. Um, um, he's thrown his responsibilities to the winds and given himself up to a life of pleasure. And so then he, he in turn, Jia Zhen, has a further son who's called Jia Rong, uh, who seems to be a completely ungovernable uh, terror of a lad of 16. Um, so you can see from this, you know, um, as, as you kind of go down the family tree, it's very much a story of of, of decline. You, you start with the, the kind of great duke um, Ningguo, and then it kind of goes down, down, down to to the present day, where you've got this kind of uh, the granddad is a is a Taoist, the father is a a kind of wastrel and layabout, and the the son is a an absolute terror.
1: Definitely, definitely. Um, mm. so, so should we move on to? So let's see what they they have to say about the 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 wrong household or the the wrong guofu, mm. right? And so here, let's see here. Um, and minutes I have when the old Duke of Rongguo died, his eldest son uh Jadai shan uh inherited his inherited his emoluments uh He married a girl from a very old Nanjing family, the daughter of M- Marquis sure i think who yeah. bore him two sons, Jasher and Jia Jung uh Jung as in as in as in Jung Fu but ruling. also maybe as in Zhengming, as in like to, to, rec- to rectify.
0: Yeah, re- uh, yeah rectitude to, These upright, names seem kind of to be,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, a contrast again.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I mean, his his name, Zheng, being kind of to rule, uh, but also a play on the word kind of for, 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 for upright and proper. Um, we can see, you know, exactly, it's, yeah. the description is, he's been mad keen on study ever since he was a lad. He's a very upright sort of person, straight as the die. He was his grandfather's favorite. So, um Hmm. So yeah, you can see that the kind of name matches the character,
1: right? And then so, as the story goes, uh, uh, Daishan he uh, on his deathbed essentially he writes a, a kind of a memorial, which is a common practice, a memorial to the emperor. Um, and apparently, this was successful enough that the emperor uh, not only has the the elder son, the 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 but also um, the younger son, Jia Zheng, uh, both um, acquire uh, official um, government positions.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so the thing you mentioned before about inheriting his emoluments, uh, I think all things being equal, his job would have not passed on to his sons, but for this very moving memorial that he wrote the emperor on his deathbed. Uh, and the emperor being so moved by it um, made sure that, not just his eldest son, but all of his sons were uh, to be taken care of.
1: And So we're talking about uh, Jia Jung, right? Um, the, the Hawks Translations read, Sir Jung's lady was, a, was formerly a Miss Wong. Uh, her first child was a boy named Jia Zhu. Uh, he, he was already a licensed scholar at the age of 14. Uh, then he married and had a son, but he died of an illness before he was 20. The second son she bore him was a little girl. Rather remarkable because she was born on New Year's Day. Um, then, after an interval of 12 years or more, of more, she suddenly had another son. He was even more remarkable because at the time of his birth, he had a piece of beautiful, clear, colored jade in his mouth with a lot of writing on it. Mm. They gave him the name Bao Yu, a uh, precious jade, yeah. as a consequence. Right. And so this is this is really this is, here we here we go finally. Yeah. We're back to, um, this is the uh, the stone that we've been talking about so much, right? It, it's reappearing in the story uh, while also representing the story, right? And so this is, this is based, I, I would say this is our main character and maybe the, the, the character most closely identifiable with the author himself. Yeah. yeah. Right.
0: So what do you think? Were, were you, was this exciting? <laughs> I, I, I like the, um, I do like that we're finally introduced in, and, and it's, um... Again, it's quite a sort of like, almost like folklore, mythical type thing. Um, someone born with, uh, you know, born with the born with this magical stone in his mouth, kind of thing. It's it's uh, it feels like it's dry right out of a fairy tale. Um, and again, it's kind of it's what it's like a sort of it's testament to um, the whole nature of the story being kind of uh, slightly surreal, uh, or rather like. I don't know, kind of abstract or, or, or just not really bound by, by um, any sense of reality, that this, this stone originally was an enormous block that was built as part of a, you know, it was mined as part of a, uh, a pillar to hold up the sky, which collapsed. It then transformed into uh, some kind of magical fan. Um, it then had mm-hmm. this, very strange episode where it was uh what it was in some kind of uh a heavenly realm and it it, it fed that flower with magical dew uh and now suddenly it's transformed into right, a tiny right. a tiny jade which uh has somehow inserts itself into this into this baby's mouth um
1: right and and the flower of which you speak likely represents the other character we just mentioned uh Lin Daiyu right right, right and so yeah this is yeah this kind of like this kind of um brings all the pieces together in in a certain way but then you know at first the parents are pretty excited about this uh about this child because it seems it seems you know auspicious Mm -hmm. all these kind of occurrences yeah uh but the 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 father quickly um becomes kind of disillusioned do you want to kind of describe the, the next scene. It's, 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 a very, it's a very famous scene.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I, I'm just going to read straight from the text. Um, but when they celebrated the first 12 month, i.e. after the child was a year old, um, and Sir Jung, the, the, the boy's father, tested his disposition by putting a lot of objects in front of him and seeing which he would take hold of, he stretched out his little hand and started playing with some women's things, combs, bracelets, Lots of Rouge and powder and the like, completely ignoring all the other objects. So Jung was very displeased. Um, so so yeah I'm, uh, I mean it seems kind of mad to us now to, to um, use this kind of test to determine your child's character. but yeah there's I guess there's a real you know important symbolism with him that he's uh, very interested in, very occupied with um, women's things, you know.
1: I've um sometimes you hear accounts of um, when they're not necessarily in in um, in, in Chinese civilization, mm-hmm. but but maybe as well. But also in in Tibetan uh, culture, sometimes in order to uh, choose an like a like an important uh, like a, an important religious figure, yeah. uh, a similar kind of test will be administered where a, a variety of objects will be placed in front of a baby, and and if if the baby chooses. Religious items, uh, like a cassock or or or, um, or or whatever it might be, then that might be an indication. Well, this might be the reincarnation hmm. of um, of a Buddhist monk who just died, something to this effect, yeah. right? I think maybe that might be part of what's going on here. I, I'm not sure how um, how widespread this 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 particular um, cultural activity yep. is uh, in in Chinese, but I, I think it might be as also. Uh fairly fairly common. Well, you
0: can see clearly the 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 father has The father clearly has great expectations for his, uh, for his child Uh clearly thinks oh, you know born with this Mm -hmm. jade in his mouth. He's definitely going to go into great things Um, and so no doubt his great his disappointment is all the greater when Uh symbolically it seems like, uh, that that is not in fact going to be Going to be the case. Um, He's, yeah, very interesting child. Says quite bizarre things, you know. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, do you want to get into this thing about water and mud?
1: Definitely. I, I guess also maybe uh, like one of the, it's almost like the thesis of, of the novel, you could yeah. argue. Right? Yeah, if you want to put it very... Uh, do, do, you have the, do you have the exact uh, quote?
0: I, I, I mean, I have, the, I have the, the page of the text right in front of me. <clears throat> so okay, yeah. this is Lanzo uh, Xiong talking about him. He says, some of the childish things he says are most extraordinary. He'll say, girls are made of water and boys are made of mud. When I'm with girls, I feel fresh and clean. When I'm with boys, I feel stupid and nasty. <laughs> which, <laughs> which is just like... Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, th- there is the TV <laughs> show called Kids Say the Weirdest Things, isn't there? Um, and I mean, I feel like this would, um, this would sort of fit in with that. Um, it's, uh, he's clearly a very, um, what we might say, a very singular child. Um, certainly a uh, kind of one in a million um, um, but I think the thing that's interesting to me is the differing interpretations that uh, you know Jia Yutun and Zhu Xiang have of him uh, because in Zhu Xiang's eyes he thinks this is all rather funny and um, it's evidence that he's going to grow up to be uh, uh, he uses various terms he says rake he says libertine uh, but I think the you know the suggestion is that he's going to be some kind of great womanizer um, and probably very dissolute, you know, mm-hmm. a wastrel, um, a, a bad one. Um, Definitely. Yeah. But Jia Sun interprets it quite differently. He sees it as having a more uh, th- 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 there's somehow more significance or weight to it.
1: I, definitely right and, and so this is where he kind of um, he launches into uh, a pretty like sophisticated like basically a metaphysical system that he has constructed yep. in, in his head um, which I, I think relates back to the passage that, that I, I read at the opening from yep. the, the Zoldran where it um, it's talking about you know being born under the influence of different kinds hmm. of um, good and bad uh, what 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 Hawks translates as benign or harmful yeah. uh forces right um, but you you could also maybe d- just say uh auspicious or inauspicious or maybe auspicious or yeah. calamitous um forces right and and then basically in the text you have like what must be like one of the most epic <laughs> name dropping yeah. um, sections i've I've ever encountered in, yeah. in a piece of literature. How did you? How did you respond? Um, I mean, to the, I thought like, it, I the, 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 like hundred yeah, different like, names.
0: W- it was like we didn't. Yeah, Chinese we didn't history, start the though. fire. Chinese history edition. Um, he's just running through running yes, through this yes, long list much. of. I, I mean, it's interesting because it's a way of kind of ticking off. Um, I think we should understand this as almost like, um, you know, there are a lot of different. Chinese history being as long and varied as it is, there are lots of important figures, you know, lots of important characters, and um, you can see that certain of them are clearly classified as good or bad, you know, and they are actually more complex characters than that, I think, Um, but but it's fascinating to see how in the kind of official, uh, in like the received wisdom, the conventional history, there are people who are very definitely good, and there are people who are very definitely bad, and this is a uh, a good, uh, you know, like brief collection of, of, of how those ones are are kind of classified. Um, so if you look at the good list, you have right, right. If you if you run through the good list, you have Yao, you have Shun, you have Yu and these are like um, kind of mythical figures from like early Chinese history, uh, whose whose very existence is you know, uh, I don't think it's even really. Uh, i don't think they're even really properly verified you know um we can't say whether these uh, were real You're... real people that lived or if they were just um they've become kind of mythical stand-ins for uh like entire groups of people
1: right right exactly right um but the, but then the next few names are are actual um uh kind of um, early right. dynastic rulers who have been um kind of lauded throughout history, who, who who's, whose whose rule has been has has been uh, valorized and, and to a mm. certain extent glamorized. Um so we have like uh Tong Wen Wu uh, right, and these are Wen and Wu are associated with the the early Western right, Zhou yeah, dynasty. Yeah. Right. And and these are the figures and so Kongza is also right. on this list and kongza would would uh, yeah. confucius that is would um would look toward wen and wu for the um kind of the models for proper yeah. for proper action particularly in government yeah. if
0: not more generally and then you know uh, following on the list you've got kong uh, i.e. confucius mm-hmm. and then Meng, Monza being mencius another of like yeah. the great confucian philosophers mm-hmm. and then you have various others who I'm a bit less
1: familiar with um right, right. It, it gets kind of more obscure these are just later uh, Confucian thinkers for the most part, right like uh, Zhu is Zhu Xi. Uh, you you've dong, yeah. which is dong Zhongshu, which is a, a, a Han era a Confucian who said to systemize yeah. systematize um a lot of the the the, the earlier warring states uh, figures um, it, so it, that that's kind of it's mm-hmm. not really important to go through all of those. Um, it's not it's not even really that important to go through all of the so the next the next category are the bad ones, right? And so these are these are people who responded to whose birth was in response yeah, yeah. to calamity, you know, who were born in, in uh calamitous times.
0: Yeah, I think the list of bad ones is more interesting in a way. Um I'm, I'm it is more interesting. Yeah, I'm much yeah. more interested in who's classified as like uh, you know, a historical villain than I am in in, you know, these like great right, right. examples of um uh, moral rectitude or uprightness. Um, so, I mean, just looking at the list, Definitely. number two on the list of bad is uh, Gong Gong, and this is the same person we spoke right. about last time, right? In the the, the whole mythical story, exactly. Of, um, yeah. um, of Nuwa, uh, like propping up the sky and uh, and all of that. Um, so Gong Gong is he broke
1: the sky? And, yeah, and, and is
0: he? Is, sorry, yeah. was he like a kind of? The god of the sea type figure, Um, or if I completely made that up.
1: Yes, a a god of water, right? Right, right, right. To be to be to be contrasted with uh, Chirio, who was a kind of a god of 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 metalworking. Ah, see. And and maybe um, weapons as well, by by implication. Yeah. Right. Um, and and so they were, uh, I I think, uh, at very various times in conflict. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's I believe it was their conflict that led to the by some accounts that led to the sky being needing repair in the first place right, right. Uh, so the two I, I would also kind of add that these yeah that these figures um, I would compare them to someone like and so and so rather than thinking of them simply as being um, evil I, I I would say that they might have a kind of a more like a, a Dionysian sort of um, dynamic yeah that maybe has been kind of suppressed over time under the influence of kind of Confucian moralizing. Mm. Uh, that, that's how I would kind of spin it. In, in the same way that the, the figure of the devil has been um, rendered um, kind of, it's been flattened by um, Christian or, orthodoxy. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I mean, some of them, just picking out a few. So you have the first Qin emperor, Qin Shi Huang. Um, and that's kind of an interesting one because... Mm-hmm. He is a highly controversial figure certainly yeah, yeah. um and so Definitely. so he's he's the founder of imperial china um and you know through kind of his uh kind of bloody single mindedness he was able to uh unite um these disparate uh kingdoms through conquest um and then did impose on them um kind of like uh he did a lot of things in terms of unifying, uh, language weights and measures, coinage, that sort of thing. And, and, and I think that that probably will have had quite an important impact on, on, um, making China kind of coherent, um, and, and more of a single entity rather than a collection of, uh, of different States. Uh, but he is despised by, um, mm-hmm. intellectuals because he did a lot of, uh, burning books and, um, Murdering, uh, <laughs> murdering uh, intellectuals. Um, so he is, he is clearly a villain in that respect. But um, but I guess he, you know, is ultimately the kind of founding figure of of, of dynastic imperial China as we understand it. You know. Um, and then the next one down the list is this guy. The Definitely. next one down the list is this guy Wang Mang. Right. Uh, you mentioned briefly. There's. Right. Uh, so he comes a little bit later in time. So Qin Shi Huang founds the Qin dynasty. It really doesn't last that long. So after Qin Shi Huang dies, his son takes over. But within a couple of years, tops, uh, he's toppled. Um, and thus, the next dynasty comes along, which is called the Han Dynasty. Um, and that's broken into um, earlier and later, right? Or, or sometimes I think it's western, eastern.
1: So Wang Mong's period is basically in between the... You can think of like the the Western the Eastern Han Dynasty as kind of um, kind of straddling the the, the period of, of like zero, you know zero yeah. CE, yeah, yeah. right? And, and so actually, uh, Wang Mang is, is basically toppled by um, uh, Jia Fu, who we just mentioned, you know uh, Jia Yutun's distant yeah. relative, who uh, established the, the the Jia clan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um and, and and but the thing is if you and so yeah, he's another another kind of um tra- transitional yeah. figure.
0: But if you read about Wang Meng, it's it's he's it's like he's not a kind of purely evil character. Uh the reason he's thought of as evil is because he's a usurper. So he was uh he took the throne for himself in nine CE uh, and ruled for fourteen years before uh I think being top of the next few years. I can't remember exactly. Um but the reason why he did that was because he thought that the, the 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 Han Dynasty as existed at the time was in need of reform because it had become, uh, um, yeah, in some way, kind of uh, like degenerate. Uh, essentially, you know, I think it was this thing of um, wealth was in an increasingly small number of hands, um, and this generally led to kind of the impoverishment of um, um, the majority of people uh, in China. And his was an attempt to kind of change the way that um, wealth and power was held in the country. Um, And so I guess kind of understandably, um, those who write history about him depict him as the kind of villainous character. Um, But I think, again, he's a a more complex one than that. for sure, for sure. Um, there are a couple, there are, there just just to touch very briefly on it, there are two other characters that I think are just worth mentioning in uh, really in passing. The next one on the list is um, Cao Cao. Okay. Uh, and Cao Cao is one of the three main characters from The Romance of the Three Kingdoms, right? So at a later period in Chinese history, um, you have, again, various uh, contending and warring states. Um, And um, part of this history is captured in the story, The Romance of Three Kingdoms. Um, uh, And one of those three states is commanded by this guy, Cao Cao. Um, And today he is genuinely like a devil-type character. There is a Chinese idiom about if you say Cao Cao's name, he will appear. So it's like, it's literally, it's it's almost a a direct equivalent of speak of the devil in English. Um, And... um, and so, yeah, he's, again, like, probably a much more complex character than people um, maybe maybe appreciate. Um, but, yeah, very much identified with, with uh, a kind of, some, like, essence of evil. And then, finally, you have um, An Lushan, um, who was uh, responsible for a rebellion against the Tang Dynasty in, I think, about the, the 8th or 9th century. Um, the only thing that's worth mentioning about An Lushan is that his rebellion... Uh, lasted for uh, a great number of years and it was very very disruptive to the country and by one estimate the the war involved in suppressing that rebellion uh, killed more people proportionally uh, than have ever died in any subsequent war um, so you can see why he's also considered to be a bit of an evil character
1: right right um, we should maybe move on to the third category right Where basically uh, this is kind of like the in-between category where, um, again, there's like a a whole, you know, like a trove of names uh, spanning the entirety of Chinese history. I would say the general kind of um, the takeaway is we have a lot in this in-between zone, we have a lot of actors, artists, emperors or or people people of state with uh, artistic inclinations. Uh, musicians, courtesans, and the like. There's the implication that uh, a lot of the people in real life, the ordinary people you you um, you come across, uh, might be in this category. Um, although the ones listed here are particularly kind of exemplary blends, maybe you could say, right? Um, so I, I guess we could go through some of these, right? Um, the, the first one mentioned is... Uh, Yep. Uh, Shuyo uh, who, who's known who's a mythological figure he, he's known to have uh, several times declined um, basically em- uh, Emperor Yao uh, attempted to award him official positions in various capacities and he kept on uh, declining them and, and even kind of hmm. relocating himself in order to like as a kind of like a a kind of a way to observe ritual propriety. You know, while also um, doing what he thinks is right. So again, it's this kind of in between where you you don't want to um, you, you don't want to not obey, but you know, um, obeying a command might go against your, yep. your your moral principles. And so you find this kind of middle ground. Um, and so he's, he's kind of an important figure and, and a really good example of 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 the sort of I'd say almost quasi medieval. Uh, quasi feudal um uh the value system that 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 is um emerging during this period and that would um become a uh, part and parcel of the the Ruist or yeah. or Confucian tradition right um and, and then if we go on there there's um he mentions uh Tao Yuanming who's just a famous poet from the uh the 4th and 5th uh centuries uh he mentions a few figures from the Julian Chishan, the the Seven mm-hmm. Worthies of the Bamboo Grove. Uh, who I was kind of doing a little research on. Uh, these are uh, third century C.E. Um, I would characterize them as kind of Taoist uh, primitivists, uh, like anti-Confucian, maybe even sort of anti-establishment, because by this time uh, Confucianism was was becoming more associated with um, establishment thought, right? Uh, and so that you have this guy. Yeah. So you, you have uh, Runjie, uh, Ji Kang, uh, Liu Ling, um, who are all part of this group. And, and then, then he goes on to mention uh, uh, Gu Kaizhi, a fourth-century painter. Uh, Chen Shubao, the famous Song hui the the eighth emperor of the Song. Uh, it was also known for his calligraphy. Right? Okay, so he's he's best known um, not, for more, his, not for more. his
0: for his aptitude as a ruler, but for his artistic sentiment. Is that it? Right. He, he sort of criticized
1: sometimes for his uh, his for being too preoccupied with art and, and not enough with uh, you know the art of uh, statecraft. Yeah. Um, uh,
0: just just to just to talk about this list in in general, one thing that was interesting to me is that. Um, um, that they included people from every stratum of society. Um, But when talking about the lowest, he said, even if they're born in the lowest stratum of society, they're likely to become great actors or famous. And Hawkes uses the phrase hetere, but he means prostitute. Um, Or or kind of, we might say, courtier or courtesan. But I think it's kind of fascinating that um that actors and prostitutes were considered to be um the same in 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 Chinese kind of culture of the time. Um um right. Right. I think it kind of says a lot about the way that those two okay. um those two professions were perceived, because that's not something that's necessarily always been true. It's certainly one that's not true in in the kind of much of the values of say uh, the, the the present moment, you know,
1: right, right. Um, I, I would say it's it's not entirely. Um, if we look at it historically, uh, you know, like uh, there's, there's probably some uh, strong overlap between you know like traditional like French ballerinas and, and you know maybe certain forms of prostitution. Uh, I, I I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't like attribute this specifically to um, Chinese mm-hmm. culture, and also when we say prostitutes, some of these people uh, mentioned are male uh, male courtesans. Yep. So he mentions uh, Li Guanian, yep. who's also kind of in between. I think d- d- understanding part musician, part male courtesan. Yeah. Uh, also a fellow Jin Xing Mo, um, but there's also a number of. Also, it should be noted that a lot of the women listed aren't exclusively um, courtesans. There's um, there's famous poets. Yeah. Um, there's a, an interesting a character named Hong Fu, uh, a, a 7th century um, female, um, kind of a, a Chinese folk mm-hmm. heroine who's known for martial arts, actually, which is interesting. Uh, there's also, yeah, there's also uh, Shui Tao. A famous poet of the Tang Dynasty, a famous female poet, and so yeah, I, you're definitely right. The, the, the these are these are individuals from all strata of society, uh, all presumably all you know gender persuasions, um, but there's a strong emphasis on the arts and on expression, yeah. right? And maybe and so maybe they're being in between good and evil makes them suited for like the representational mode of being right which is which is again uh between reality and and fiction or you know it's 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 the means of... uh,
0: and i think also it's this sort of like um characterizing art as a a chaotic thing um so uh, you know uh the 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 first two categories we get are good which is associated with equilibrium and good rule and all of those sorts of things. And then the second category we get is bad, and that's disunity, disharmony, bad rule, you know, you know, all of that kind of thing. And the, the third category uh, is is this co-mingling of the two. Um, and and that is, yeah, associated with, with poetry, calligraphy, painting, uh, uh, acting, prostitution and kind of art in 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 many different forms um, and so I think that also says a you know like a a, a great deal about I think the way that Sa church at least perceives um, those those things the things that belong in that category and I suppose he he, he puts himself within it right um, yeah
1: definitely and, and so even though a lot of this is framed using you know this idea of the good humors is what Hawks yeah. translate what he's translating as humors is chi, right? Which is the famous notion of like chi as in an association with um, breath and wind yeah. and so on and so forth. Uh, even though this has this um, kind of, I guess, traditional Chinese metaphysical uh, framing, I really found there's a lot of resonance with even, you know, kind of um, like the Nietzschean idea of um, the balance between Dionysian which would be like the like the evil you know and uh, apollonian forms in right. art right where the where the idea was what, when when Nietzsche uh kind of valorizes earlier greek art and condemns the later later forms like like mm-hmm. sophocles and so on what he's condemning is um kind of the suppression of the 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 dionysian forces in favor of the yeah. Apollonian forces, but his point is not that the Apollonian that you, you want purely Dionysian. The point he he makes is that the good art actually um, involves this um, this interplay between these these oppo- these oppositions between the Apollonian and between yeah. the Dionysian. Uh, and so that's it's, it's more or less exactly what um, what, what Tao Shui Qian, or through Jia is communicating with his yeah. idea that um, in this third category. You have this this dynamic interplay
0: so it's it's so his his, his concept of of humans is That broadly they are um, A mix of both good and evil there are some that are purely good There are some that are purely evil And then there are some that are not just a mix of good and evil but are Good and evil Engaged in an almost kind of constant struggle battle and that's what this third category is um, it's not merely that they have good and evil within them it 's that those two forces are locked in some kind of um, yeah some kind of struggle some kind of conflict um, so there's a bit um, there's a bit of the Hawkes translation that I think is quite good to read um, so essentially you 're saying you can have the the, the the bad humors and the good humors um, uh, if some of the pure quintessential humor should chance to be passing overhead at the same moment as this bad humor is there, the two will become locked in irreconcilable conflict, the good refusing to yield to the evil, the evil persisting in its hatred of the good. And just as wind, water, thunder, and lightning meeting together over the earth can neither dissipate nor yield to one another, but produce an explosive shock, resulting in the downward emission of rain, so does this clash of humors result in the forcible downward expulsion of the evil humor, which, being thus forced downwards, Will find its way into some human creature so so yeah they're 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 the they're, they're, they're kind of the children of conflict basically um and that is the type of character that we're supposed to understand uh Jia Baoyu, our our hero as it were um as being he belongs to this third category
1: for sure for sure we're getting to, toward the end of the chapter i, I think we can finish this um in one round, rather than yeah. breaking it into yeah. two, like last time, I think. Um, the takeaway is that we should look for we should, yeah we should look in in Jabao Yu for this kind of this kind of dynamic maybe artistic mm-hmm. this expressive disposition. Uh, uh, Jia Yutuan relates a story. It's kind of similar to this idea of um, uh, of Jabao Yu. Remember, Jabao Yu told us that you know men are men are uh, made of yeah. of mud yeah. and women of water, right? Uh, apparently Jia Yutun had a similar story where mm-hmm. he, he's tutoring a boy and, and the boy would shout out sister, yeah. sister when he's being beaten in order yeah, to lessen so, the pain so,
0: so there's this very disturbing bit where uh, he says the word girl is very precious and very pure this is him quoting this, this rather precocious bizarre child uh, it is much more rare and precious than all the rarest beasts and birds and plants in the world so it is most extremely important that you should never, never violate it with your coarse mouths and stinking breath Whenever you need say it, you should first rinse your mouth out with clean water and scented tea. And if I ever catch you slipping up, I shall have holes drilled through your teeth and lace them up together. (laughs) Which which is just a completely terrifying image to me, you know.
1: (laughs) It really is, yeah. It it has a certain, like, really, a pretty deep psychological resonance. I I, I could imagine this being out of, like, a Dostoevsky story. It it, it seems like an, an acute uh observation of um of of the weird uh phobias and and and, and fetishes that Mm -hmm. that people tend to have yeah it 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 has the same kind of these these children are like like spontaneously creating a sort of um like a culture or like a cult almost around um around the opposite gender right and the proper like uh ways to interact with it and the means of um tabooing and and sanctifying and purifying uh it, it's amazing that a child would just automatically do what uh like you know institutions developed over the course of thousands of years would also do uh it, it's it's a, it's a strange kind of meeting of, of the yeah. spontaneous and, and the um the institutional I think so I, I, I definitely also had that passage in my notes with uh, kind of a, a, a lot of question marks and exclamation <laughs> points.
0: Yeah. So at the end of this chapter, we we have another cliffhanger, um, where Jia Yutun and Su Zixiang, having had a drink and a gossip, they get up to leave when again Jia Yutun is greeted by somebody off stage, as it were, um, who calls out to tell him that he has good news for him. And
1: it's there that the chapter cuts off. Okay. Um Okay. So um, maybe we could we can we can leave it there. Um mm-hmm. did you want to talk about uh, they just mentioned, you know, there, there's um Jia Jung has three daughters, right? There's um yeah. uh, Yuan Chun, Ying Chun, and uh, Tan, Chun. Tan, Tan, oh, those Tan Chun. Four daughters. As well as uh Shi Chun. Yeah. Right. And, and and Chun there is 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 simply, you know, springtime. Right, because the eldest girl was named was um was born, I, I think in the in the very beginning of spring, and that's why her mm. that's the the kind of the, the meaning of her name, uh, and and so the other names are are just sort of meant to complement that name, which which apparently yep. was is it was a common tradition, right? Mm. And there's some other there's some other things that, that go on. Basically, uh Yutun comes to learn that Lin Daiyu her her mother is also of the Jia family.
0: So, th- so just, just so we remember, Jia Yucun, having been removed from his post as magistrate and having deposited his family in, in Huzhou, his hometown, then wanders for several years uh, exploring and ends up as tutor to this young girl, Lin Daiyu. Um, so it's her uh, that, in a very roundabout way, is a member of his own clan. Right.
1: And and so what also happens? Uh, we we learn that uh, Lin Daiyu's mother just died, right? And so this is going to be a, a major kind of event in her in her life, right? Mm-hmm. And, and she is she's going to be raised by uh, the Jia clan.
0: Exactly, yeah. Her father is is not suitable to raise her, and um, and so she's to be packed off to be raised by the ja family exactly
1: right and jayuton is going to go with her at least in the beginning Mm -hmm. he's gonna he's gonna send her off that's basically the entire chapter until as you mentioned at at the very end uh there's another kind of surprise um a a message for
0: for jayuton yeah yeah but we should leave that to next time, I
1: guess. and so okay so everyone uh thanks for listening thank you very much uh the third installation of um re-reading the stone yep. uh, until next time uh uh good evening
0: goodbye